Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Back Yourself Show. So this week we have Tessa Clark. Tessa Clark is the CEO and founder of Olio. Now, what's really interesting about this episode is that people will always tell you as a founder that you need to build a community. But how do you build a community from zero to one and then become huge? Well, Tessa's just done that. And she has now basically millions of people in her community. And it all started out with a WhatsApp group. The story is amazing. She gives really great advice around how building that community helped her to also build her first product and how she avoided putting in too many unimportant features and so forth. But also she talks about how do you get the people within your community to grow your community? It's really the nirvana of every startup to be able to do that. Have a listen to the show. It's really, really interesting. And make sure you listen to it all the way through. And if you're a female founder, particularly this is a good one for you because she gives some really succinct advice on how you can improve your chance of getting investment. Hope you enjoy it. Just to give me some idea, first of all, in terms of scale. So when you started Olio, you, it was just you, right? Me and Sasha, my co Or was there a couple of you? Yeah, me and Sasha, my co-founder. You and Sasha, that, that was it, yeah. So for just under a year, it was just the two of us. And how did you... And so everything that you've done um, has been built around building a community because that's yep. ultimately what you are. You're a community community app. So how did you do those first few steps? How was the zero to one story? So the zero to one story um, really started. So I had this sort of light bulb moment where I was moving country and being forced to throw away food. And as we've discussed, I'm a farmer's daughter, hate food waste, wasn't prepared to do that. So I had this sort of idea of a neighbor to neighbor food sharing app. Most people thought I was absolutely bonkers um, and that I should sort of get off maternity leave and go back to my career pretty quickly. But Sasha, my (laughs) co-founder, she immediately loved this idea of strangers sharing food because her her parents are sort of hippies from the Midwest in Iowa. So it appealed to her inner hippie. Right. Um, but then we researched the problem of food yeah. waste and what we discovered absolutely kind of blew our brains. And we immediately committed to solving the problem because we could see that this sort of combination of mobile technology and just people being empowered could help solve the problem of food waste at scale. How we then went from the idea to sort of making it happen, we uh, did some market research and that showed that we basically put out a survey. We shared it on lots of Facebook groups, etc. We got over 300 responses and that showed that one in three people told us that they felt physically pained throwing away good food. And so that struck us being can us I, as being can I dig into mainstream. a question there? Yeah, go for it. On that, because I love I love that about the um the Facebook uh market research piece. So when you're when you were doing that, so nitty gritty here, what was the what were you trying to figure out? with that survey is it yeah. like we trying to figure out like people's problems and and or, or demand for a product that you already had an idea for or was it to inform your product yeah. first question second question where were you where did you who did you give it to how did you find the people you were going to yeah. give it to to fill in the survey what were the parameters you were looking at yeah so we before we did the survey via facebook we'd done the desk research to figure out so i'd had this unique experience and did not want to throw away food and felt like there had to be a better solution. We then said, okay, I've had a unique experience, but that doesn't mean to say that's a big problem in the world. Let's do some desk research and find out how big a problem food waste is. And the desk research showed us that it was honestly one of the largest problems facing humanity today. Just no one knew about it at that point in time. So that was a kind of big tick in the box where we're trying to solve a big problem. But we knew that there are plenty of big problems in the world. But if no one cares about them, they're not going to get solved. So we wanted to 
figure out if this was a problem that was affecting lots of people and if anyone cared about it. And so the reason why we asked that question and, and use that deliberately extreme language of asking people if they felt physically pained or not, throwing away good food. So it was like, you know, 10 is I feel physically pained, I can't stand it. And, and sort of one was, it doesn't bother me, I don't even think about it. Um, and a third of people sort of put themselves up at that physically pained level was because we wanted to filter out sort of the false positives because most people go, oh yeah, you know, food waste is bad. But that doesn't mean to say that um, they cared enough about it to want to do anything about it. Whereas we used that phrase physically pain because we thought it was fairly extreme. But actually, that is how you feel when you really hate food waste. It physically pains you. And the data point mm. that came back showed that one in three people said they were physically pained. So that for us was a massive tick in the box. It's like not only is this a problem on paper, it's actually a problem that people are really agitated about and there's been no innovation since the bin quite frankly so that was kind of the survey and then we emailed it round to everybody we knew and then we went on to facebook groups so we knew that we were going to be sort of assuming we'd go ahead be starting off with olio in north london and so we just went on to lots of local north london groups and said you know we're thinking about building this app and, and here's a survey so that was the next stage in the process. But then after that, we thought, although people tell us that they hate food waste and it physically pains them and it's a massive problem on paper, that doesn't mean to say that people will take the next step in our hypothesis, which is to share food with a stranger. <laughs> so there's quite a big leap between being physically pained, throwing away food and actually sharing food with a stranger. Uh, and we knew that we had to sort of test that part of the hypothesis before sinking our life savings, building an app that in all probability, no one would want. So we thought, how can we test that sort of sharing with a stranger in real life bit? And we settled upon using uh, WhatsApp. And so we did a proof of concept using WhatsApp. So we reached out to 12 people who'd said that they were physically pained throwing away good food. They all lived near one another in North London, but didn't know each other and didn't know us. So we organized all of this via email. And we said, hey, we'd love you to take part in this sort of slightly weird experiment for two weeks. We're going to put you on a WhatsApp group. And if you've got any spare food, then here's some people that might want to pop around and pick it up from you. And so we launched it sort of, uh, it was on a Saturday, one weekend in April. And we sort of waited with baited agonizing breath over the weekend to see if anyone would share any food or not and it was Monday morning finally someone posted uh, half a bag of schlots into this whatsapp group and we we're like yes vindication and within 23 minutes someone on the whatsapp group had requested it and they organized the pickup and then for the next sort of two weeks there was actually quite a lot of sharing took place via that whatsapp group and at the end of the two weeks Sasha and I met all these people who we'd never met before so it was a super surreal experience in in coffee shops all sort of around Crouch End and Finsbury Park and debriefed with them and they told us three things they said first of all you absolutely have to build this secondly it only needs to be slightly better than a WhatsApp group and that's probably some of the best advice we've ever had on this journey and then three they said how can I help and the sort of how can I help was really the genesis of what is today our ambassador program because we very quickly realized two things one we had no money um, and so we um, could really do with whatever support we could get to help us grow and scale uh, and secondly we realized that we were building a two-sided marketplace and we needed to make sure that kind of on launch day 
we had food on the app. And so we thought, well, how can I help? Well, actually, you can help because on the day that we launch the app, you can make sure that you've sort of done a complete uh, kitchen clear out and loads all your stuff onto the app so that the people who then uh, arrive have listings to see that they can request and, and that can sort of kickstart the sharing. Tessa, I love that story. <laughs> I mean, there's so many great things to pick apart in there. Like, OK, let's just go into a couple of them. So first of all, like do that desk research and then going and doing your um, your research on Facebook where you were. Uh, you, I guess you had a form on, on Yeah, we used a Facebook survey monkey back in the day. It was pre-type form era then. Yeah, fine. And and and, and, and we, did you pay for it? Like, were you paying no, people to fill no, out the form? We, or were I you mean, just hoping they were going to fill it out? In the, in the early days, Sasha and I, you know, would discuss any expenditure more than £10. And I'm not exaggerating. We had so little money. Um, so... We uh, were using the free version of SurveyMonkey, which gave us however many responses. It was definitely, I seem to recall it being 384 yeah. responses is what we got. Um, and yeah, then we just posted it into local Facebook buy, sell, wanted groups and, and uh, you know, the Crouch yeah. End Appreciation Society and, and all that good stuff. That's really good. And also it's quite interesting because you've got quite a captive audience there because... I'm I'm Hampstead and I know that there is a uh, definitely a social consciousness around that area so it's yeah. a really good place to start so yeah. you know your community right so do yeah you've asked people that you know and you've asked people in an area that you know and I love yeah. that and that hyper local element of what you've done as well is good because you understand your audience the thing that I love about the next piece of this is that you get a lot of people when they're building products being like, I need to really make this amazing. I've got to make a world-class product here yeah. that is hyper-automated, yeah. hyper-simple. And you're like, well, I've just got a fucking WhatsApp group, mate. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. it. you got WhatsApp group plus one. That's the, yeah. You, yeah. And I love... And yeah, so, so, so that, that, as I said, kind of was the best advice that we received on this journey because mm. prior to doing that proof of concept via WhatsApp, we were convinced of all these features that our app absolutely must have. You know, we were like, you've got to create an account and every user has to have a profile, you know, because we're connecting strangers to share food. Right. And we need to have user ratings and reviews and, and all these things that we thought were essential. And then we just got that feedback and we realized, hang on a minute, that's not just a bit better than a WhatsApp group. That is way better than a WhatsApp group. And so we stripped back um, the sort of functionality of the launch version of the app to be the most basic thing you could possibly do in order to share food so we said just what are the features that required to connect two people who live close to one another to share some food so actually someone needs to be able to create a listing and add a photo and a description and add it you know in an approximate location and add it to the app someone else needs to be able to see that and they need to be able to message and request it and then the person who's added the listing needs to be able to take it down that's it nothing mm. else um, and that is what we launched with. And so that was also what helped us really move very quickly in that first year. So Sasha and I incorporated the company on 9th of February. So that was when we started working on Olio. And it was exactly five months to the day that we had sort of been through all this process and got the app built and launched into the app store. I love that. So now that you've built that first community in that way, and also like yeah, the fact that you... Are you technical? Are you? Uh, are I had. You... So, no, can I code? No. Am I a developer? Absolutely not. Um, had I run sort of digital businesses before? Yes. So, amazing that you were able to not have featureitis 
having already been a product <laughs> yeah. person before and yeah. still not have that disease well, we, is incredible. It, it is. And we um, we also, at the same time, we read two books, which I just recommend to every entrepreneur going through the kind of zero to one phase. Uh, the first one is a book called The Mom Test by Rob Fitzpatrick, which is yeah. all about how to do market research without deceiving yourself, <laughs> because it's so easy to deceive yourself. Uh, and then the second book was The Lean Startup by Eric Rees. And so we kind of yeah. got that feedback about it only being slightly better in the WhatsApp group. And then we kind of read the theory in that book. And we realized that, yeah, we've just got to not sit here in our ivory tower um, sort of building and creating we've got to just get something out and then start getting real user feedback as quickly as possible I love that yeah and those are those are two really great books definitely. hey guys I hope you're enjoying the conversation that we're having here today pretty cool isn't it but I really quickly want to tell you about a show that I really really like called Secret Leaders they have amazing content on there and some really great advice for founders so you're about to hear from the host right now so listen up if you're an entrepreneur in the UK and want to hear some powerful lessons from founders of companies like Deliveroo, Joe Malone and Monzo, then check out the Secret Leaders podcast. Each week, I have a raw conversation with someone who's changed an industry like fertility, esports, raving and crypto, so you can build a better business. Want to learn how to bootstrap, create a magnetic brand, get your first customer or even fire your mum? Yep, that really happened to one of our guests. Search Secret Leaders in your podcast app. See you there. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. Next step. So you've gone from building this community and you built the app. How do you then scale that from I've got this initial community, I've got this great product to raising 42 million in a series B? <laughs> yeah. Well, you've made it sound like that sort of uh, takes place in one step. It uh, definitely it was, took it, place obviously it's one step overnight. <laughs> straight, straight product market fit you're yeah, in. No, no, but I think the blood, thing I care sweat, about is the tears, piece. rinse, yeah. wash, repeat yeah. is, uh, is, is, is how it happened. Yeah. Um, but I think in terms of kind of the, the community piece specifically, so what I mean, what we discovered kind of really early on is that we could almost divide people into groups of three. So there are people who, when they heard about Olio, they were just apoplectic with excitement. They leapt up and down. They were hugging us. They couldn't believe that this wonderful app existed and they kind of downloaded it right away. There was then a bunch of people who were kind of, you tell intellectually got it, but probably weren't going to do anything about it for a while. And then there was a third group who, no matter how long we talked to them about how enormous this problem was and how effective Olio was at solving it, there was just no way they were going to um, use an app to connect neighbours to share. So mentally, we sort of realised fairly quickly just not to waste any energy on the third group and to minimise the energy you spend on the second group and just really, really focus on those early adopters. And... The early adopters were absolutely obsessed by Olio. They really, really loved it. And they reached out to us to ask how they could get involved and how they could help. And so Sasha and I did between us sort of several hundred phone calls with random kind strangers and really just kind of dug into it and really kind of co-created with them to figure out, well, how can you? help you know figure out more about what their motivators and their drivers were and what they did and where they lived and how much time they had and what their skills and their capabilities were 
And the upshot of kind of several hundred of those sorts of conversations was we realized that uh, perhaps the most powerful thing people could do was to really was to become what we now call an Olio ambassador, which is to help us spread the word about Olio in their local community. And this was a massive source of growth for us, especially in the early days. So what we did was we created posters and letters and flyers that our ambassadors could order from us. We would mail them to them. And, and still today, we're still sort of mailing out hundreds of ambassador packs. And these people would then do kind of hyper-local guerrilla marketing on our behalf in their local community. And then we also gave them sort of template press releases. We gave them presentations that they could share with their local community. We experimented with lots of different event formats. And then we sort of settled on one. It was like a sort of a community potluck. And we gave them all guidance about how they could run their own um, Olio potlucks. And these ambassadors were just a fabulously kind of authentic, high energy, uh, and really kind of low cost effective way for us to start spreading the word about Olio in local communities. And in the early days, it was people just from kind of across London who were reaching out to us, but then very quickly, people from all over the UK and then all over the world started reaching out to us because they started hearing about Olio, we were very active on social media, and they too wanted to be able to use the app um, in their local community. So we actually embarked upon kind of globalizing our community within our first year of founding, which is definitely kind of counter to all the opinions and advice we were receiving. But it just took us about three weeks really to open source our sort of, I guess, playbook, if you like, for how to grow Olio and to make it available internationally. And as a result of that, we're now in a situation today, sort of, you know, six years later, where actually half of our community is outside of the UK. And that's through just giving people the tools to self-service. I think that's the amazing uh, piece of advice there, isn't it? It's just you uh, and trying to just distill that down a little bit is <clears throat> essentially you've created a community which um, gives people some sense of reward and gives them something they need. Okay, so they there is an intrinsic value in being part of that community, and then you've given them the tools to to do what they need to do, and you're like, go and get on with it. You know, grow this for me. And I love yeah. that that champion mindset of like, let me just create some champions for for my brand, and then they'll grow the business for me. Yeah. But I'm giving, but the return for them is they're getting that 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 reward that they want they're getting that dopamine hit from being good people yeah. who are saving the planet and you're enabling them to do it it's a great quid pro One, quo then it yeah. works incredibly well yeah 100 percent. i mean people will often ask us you know how did you get so now we've had over fifty thousand people reach out to offer to become ambassadors and people ask us how have you done that and the sort of the somewhat facetious answer is well we asked them to right you know the first thing is yeah. to, it's just to ask and invite people in into your brand and into your community and then you just got to commit time, decide that this is a strategic priority for my business and we're going to invest the time and effort and energies into this. Uh, and then we built out the ambassador program very collaboratively with our earliest ambassadors. Um, and that is what has enabled it to kind of have the impact that, that we've had today. So the, the, the key learnings there are one sort of <laughs> ask um, and then the second thing you touched on it there is really to understand people's motivators. And what we found is there are kind of two motivators for Olio. One is just very selfishly, people wanted to be able to use Olio themselves in their community. And they recognized that unless their neighbors were on it, it wasn't going to work. And then secondly, um, the definitely is the piece about kind of our mission and people just wanting to see that propagate um, all over the world. 
Um, so you need to kind of invite people, understand their motivators, co-create with them and respond to the feedback that they give you. And then the final step really is about recognition and reward. It is super important. People need to feel valued for what they're doing and they also want the data back. So we actually kind of, a part of the reason why we built this feature, which shows you users near you is so that our ambassadors could check on and see, oh, at the moment there's 53 people on Olio near me, but I've now done all of these activities and I've now, now grown that to 353 people. And that just giving people that data back is incredibly rewarding yeah. and, and gratifying. And then we also give them status within the app as well. Uh, and people feel really proud of, of that identity. The other critical success factor for building a community and I remember very vividly trying to get our heads around it is at some point in time, you will have to ask yourself whether you can sort of fire a volunteer or not, or fire a community member. And mm. it see, it feels really counterintuitive to, so in our, our case, this was about kind of, you know, firing volunteers. It felt really counterintuitive to sort of ask someone who's doing something for free to not do it. Um, but what we fairly quickly learned is that a community strength is very much determined by its norms and its rules. And you need to be really, really strict on identifying kind of upfront what your norms and rules are for your community and then kindly asking volunteers and ambassadors and community members who do not comply with those norms and rules to step down. And they can often get extremely angry with you mm, and it can be very yeah. very difficult to deal with on an interpersonal level but it is critical for the sort of the success and the health of the community overall for you to move very very swiftly to remove negative or toxic members i i love this Tess. i think it's amazing and i love that you're you're changing the world um i want to ask you two more things before we we wrap up because anyone who listens to this right now will be scribbling down everything you said and making an action plan based on that um building a community for any startup is an essential and i love the 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 journey you've given there two things i want to talk about really quickly one um i uh so anyone listen to show those i i'm um i'm an investor myself and i only invest in female founders because you guys get a shit ride um but as yeah. someone who has been incredibly successful in that space and obviously you're a completely female found business what advice would you give to other female finders who are finding it particularly difficult to start a business and raise money um, because it is harder? It is It is harder, right? You know, the stats are yeah. horrifying. So definitely get yourself familiar with the stats so you don't um, beat yourself up thinking it's just me. It's not you. It's the system. The system yeah. is structurally biased. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, so sort of forewarned is forearmed. Uh, the next thing I recommend that female founders do is watch this incredible video by a, uh, a lady called da uh, Dana Kanzi, which essentially explains, so she's done a lot of research. She's a professor and she has uncovered the fact that female founders are asked what she calls prevention questions, which is all about the downside. And male founders are asked promotion questions, which is all about the upside, how fast can you grow? You know, where can we take this, etc. And the trick to overcoming this situation is to answer prevention questions with promotion responses, because it's the kind of the promotion responses uh, that get funded. So definitely kind of understand that. And then I think the other thing that's really important is to understand the biases 
both conscious and unconscious that exist against female founders and proactively try and address those through your deck and through your pitch. So for example, I think it was our kind of second round of fundraising. I just had this aha moment where I realized that you know people would refer to us as kind of two girls um, the whole time. And I just thought, you know what? We really need to put sort of mine and Sasha's creds up front. And I'm going to put these sort of seals of approval, you know. So yeah. I went to Cambridge University and we both, we worked for Boston Consulting and Group and McKinsey and we're both Stanford MBAs. And we just put yeah. all our logos as the first yeah. slide in the deck, which was really just our attempt to say, please take us seriously, sit up and listen to what we have to say. Um, and that seemed to be really effective. Um, and then you've also got to recognize that there's definitely a bias against female founders in that people tend to think that you're less commercial. And so you therefore need to kind of over index a little bit with that. So make sure that again, sort of the numbers and the financials are really robust and they come sort of probably earlier in your deck, perhaps, um, than you might have otherwise put them. Um, and then, and, and, you know, you've also unfortunately got to think, think about things like kind of what you wear. Um, and also your overall kind of tone and approach. You've got to be sort of ambitious, but not too ambitious. And, you know, th th there's lots of complexity uh, going on there. So it is a bit of a minefield, but with oodles of persistence and resilience, it is possible. Yeah. Hey, look, that is actually really great advice. Um, and that's not to say that it's, it's not, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not hard for men to raise money, but it is just much harder for women. And I think all that advice you've given there is... Yeah is 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 great um oh the other two of best advice is if you are a male investor and you listen to this stop being a dick um <laughs> actually so, the, other, um, the other piece of advice sorry i would give as well is um when to do your research and when you look at the about us page on the website if it's sort of you know a whole bunch of pale male and stale faces are staring back at you your probability of success is unfortunately lower than if you yeah. go to an about us page and you see a lot more diversity uh, so in our experience i have found that diverse founders of all stripes and colors if they're I'm sorry diverse investors sorry of all stripes and colors uh, are much more likely to invest in us so really look for those vc firms and funds that have diversity baked into them and not just at the analyst analyst level but at the investment committee level as well because ultimately that's where the sort of check writing power lies amazing really great advice so final question um for you so we have a um <clears throat> we have something here called the startup sin bin um it's a, it's a terrible name but it's exactly what it is what we always said to every founder what is one thing in the startup community that you wish would just fuck off and wouldn't happen um my, mine is um mine's toxic positivity because i am toxically positive <laughs> and so when uh when people are like yeah everything's freaking amazing no it's not shut up yeah <laughs> yeah like um but what is um what are the things that um that you would chuck in there one thing you're only allowed one. really really simple for me i would chuck all male investment committees into the sin bin immediately <laughs> well all all male no, or ones as that in are all ones male. that are all male <laughs> Okay. Yeah, just to clarify, because, you know, th there's been lots of sort of hand wringing about what on earth can we possibly do to increase the amount of investment that goes to female founded businesses. So just a mere 1.1% of all 
VC funding goes to female founded businesses. And that data point has remained stubbornly at 1%. And the reason for that is really, really simple. We've still got predominantly all male investment committees. And until we have true diversity amongst gatekeepers of capital, we are not going to see true diversity of founders who are getting funded. It's like I I completely agree. And also just one more thing to anyone who's listening. Like I've interviewed over 50 founders on this show and the female founders are always better. They're just better. They're just better. They're just better at the job. Unfortunately, it's a bit Darwinian, isn't it? It's survival of the fittest. No, the reality is you... You have to be, you know, we, we yeah. have to be somewhere between 10 and 100 times better to get the same results. Yeah. So if you have, so if there is, so if there is a, um, a female founder, invest in them because they will be 10 or 100 times better. So yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, we're, we're, we're undervalued assets, plain and simple. All right, if you, if, yeah, exactly. If you've, got, if you've got that far with all the thing in front of you, yeah. you're going to be amazing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, look, it's been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on, Tessa. You've been great. Um, Pleasure. And thank you so much. Lovely chatting to you. Thank you. 